sing this song, and, and I, I love the Wednesday crowd. I, I really do. We have some pastor today, and um, you know what? Do me a favor. Turn to two passages. Turn to 1 Kings 19 and James 5. I'll talk a little bit, then I'll sing. Um, but I was telling pastor, I said, we, we've had, like you, weather-wise, I call it a herky-jerky year. It's been a herky-jerky weather year. Um, there was one day, particularly in uh, January, out at our place, January 30th, it was a Wednesday, it was negative 38 degrees with the wind chill. And the problem was we had our annual business meeting is scheduled for the last Wednesday of January. And Brother Paul, I just didn't want to cancel it. We, we had so much business to transact and we, we pass an annual budget and all that. And so I said, folks, listen, it's, it's going to be negative 30. If you can't make it to church, don't worry about it, you know. And uh, we had 74 people there. And I said, I said, uh, Brother Tex, I said, those are the kind of people I want to transact in church business. Amen. Faithful on negative 30 degree night. <laughs> Amen. I love the Wednesday crowd. So I hope this song will be a blessing to you. We owe so much to this church, to this body of believers. Um, you were such a blessing to us so much more than we were to you. And um, so hope this song will be a blessing to you. Dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me, walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea, heard the angels singing, someone called your name, stood and saw this young man, he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now. Then he said, but wait. Used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One day, when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord, because I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood beside you, said, remember the time. Missionary came to your church, his pictures made you cry. Didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave. That's why I'm in heaven today. Thank you 
forgiven to the Lord. Because I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. <clears throat> one by one they came, far as the eye could see. Each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices you made. Though on earth unnoticed, in heaven they'll all be proclaimed. I know up in heaven you're not supposed to cry. I was almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand. And you stood before the Lord. He said, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Because I am a life that was changed. Thank given to the Lord I am so glad you gave I want to say thank you for giving to the Lord because I am a life that was changed thank you forgiven to the Lord I am so glad you gave I am so glad someone gave that song. Amen. One day we're going to we're going to meet him face to face. And he is going to reward us, pastor. Amen. I think about that story I heard about the old veteran missionary had to come off the field for health reasons and he just happened to come home <clears throat> on the same boat as Teddy Roosevelt who had been in Africa hunting big game. Not, not against that. But Teddy Roosevelt got off the boat, and there was a band and, uh, you know, scores of people waving the flags and cheering, and here came this old hobbling missionary, just hobbling out. No one was even there to greet him. And he got a little bit of the mully grubs, Pastor. He, he said, you know, he said, this man's over there killing animals and, I spent my whole life in Africa serving you, Lord, and, and he gets all this, this adoration, and I just get left there all alone. And the man said he heard the sweet Holy Spirit say, you're not home yet. 
you know, one day we're going to be home. Home. Amen. I want to encourage you tonight. Go to, uh, let's, let's read the passage in James first. And uh, I love this church. I mean it with all my heart. You, you folks are family to us. And uh, Carrie and I love you so very much. We think about you and think about our time here and what a blessed time it was. I, I, was, uh, I was so blessed today to mow grass. You say, what? Yeah. It's mow grass. Wait, listen, I had a Bible college professor said, if you're too big to clean a toilet for Jesus, you're too big to stand in the pulpit. Huh? He said, they're, they're, you know, servants just... And so I asked pastors, what can I do? And, and uh, he said, well, I certainly don't want you doing anything mechanical. And I said, thank you very much. Why don't you be quiet? Amen. And no, I didn't say that. And uh, he, he, we mowed. Amen. We got some mowing done. got some trimming done. Amen. Until we ran out of, uh, uh, what do they call that stuff? String. Amen. We ran out of string. Pastor and I broke both of the uh, trimmer. No. <laughs> but I thought, I was thinking, what a blessing to serve, Pastor. What a blessing. What a blessing it was to be out there today on a nice warm day just uh, serving the Lord. And uh, what a blessing. We were able to make a hospital call on Miss Barb today and uh, just a blessing. And now we get to, for me, the, 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 the whipped cream and cherry on the Sundays, I get to preach the Word of God. So James chapter 5, read along with me here in, uh, let's see here. Uh, let's look at verses 16 through 18, uh, and then we're going to go back to 1 Kings. And we're going to talk about this, this uh, man named Elijah tonight, and I hope to be an encouragement to you be a help to you. It says there, confess your faults one to another. By the way, uh, no place in the Bible does it say we have to confess our sins one to another. We confess our sins to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 says. But here it tells us, uh, confess your faults one to another. And uh, Pastor, I remember doing a pretty detailed study of this, and I, I believe that this person is someone who has been church disciplined and is sick. Like uh, the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about those that took the Lord's table unworthily. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And here's a person that's been removed from the fellowship. He realizes that. He says, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye be healed. That this sickness would, that, that God used this sickness to bring this person back. And then it says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What a, what a call to pray. What a call to live a righteous life. Amen. Then it says this, Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, <clears throat> and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth fruit. I want you to focus there in verse 17 where it says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions. Now go with me over to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah, that righteous man, prayed, and fire came down from heaven and burnt up the offering and showed who was really God and all God's people said. But then we come to chapter 19, and we find out that Elijah 
And the title of my message tonight is A Man of Like Passions Who Got Discouraged. A Man of Like Passions Who Got Discouraged. Look at chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might, what church? Die. And said, is enough now? O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I want to preach this message to you and encourage you. And we're going to go through a lot of 1 Kings chapter 19, but a man of like passions who got discouraged. Father, we need your help tonight. Thank you that, Lord, our service at Loomis Park has already concluded, starts at 6.30, ends at about 7.35, 7.40, and our missionaries were prayed for tonight, and the children's program, all those things, the youth group, and Lord, we need your help now here. Lord, many are coming in weary. Many, this message fits. They are discouraged in some way or another. One may be discouraged. I heard some of the prayer requests. Uh, pray for this person. Pray for my husband. Uh, Lord, uh, pray for this sickness. Uh, Lord, many discouraged tonight. I pray that you'd use this message to be a help, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement tonight. You know I love these precious people. So thankful for each one of them. Pray your blessing upon each one. May you make it one message for many hearts. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The devil announced a going out of business sale. Which of course we know doesn't really mean that he's going out of business. He laid out all the tools of his trade with price tags for any of his foul demons to purchase. There was hatred and jealousy and envy and greed and more. A, a truly nasty bunch of devices, all for a price. Some of the tools were pretty complicated items with buttons and spinners and ratchets and gears. But one was surprisingly simple. It was just a simple wedge that looked like a doorstop. It was very well-worn and scratched and scuffed, and it was far more expensive than any other high-tech tools that he had laid out. One of the devils asked, what is this one? The devil replied, that's discouragement. Why is it so expensive? Because, said the devil, it is more useful to me than any of the others. Most people can see the other tools coming and stop me. But with discouragement, I sneak up on them a little at a time, slowly pry them open, and get inside where I can use my other tools. When someone gets discouraged, they make excuses and I get them. Or they cheat and I get them. Or they get jealous of other success and I get them. I get them, I get them, I get them. Or they just completely quit 
and I get them. That's why it's so worn, you see. I use it with nearly everybody because few people know that discouragement belongs to me. You know, Elijah in chapter 17 of 1 Kings bursts on the scene, ladies and gentlemen, And I love it. The very first thing we see from Elijah, Brother Ray, is the confrontation of Ahab. And he looks at Ahab with his bony finger and he said, Mister, it is not going to rain until I say. And he took off. And there's Ahab. And then he meets up with Ahab again and it hasn't rained for a while. Ahab says, are you the one that troubles Israel? And Elijah said, not me. You and your sinful house are the reason it's not raining. I love that, amen. I love the fact that a, that a man of God, a prophet, a pastor, did, didn't just have to take it from this wicked king. He gave it right back. And then finally in chapter 18, we know this wonderful story where uh, Israel is, is in sin and Elijah says to the people of Israel, listen, how long halt ye between two opinions? He said, this Baal worship and, and the worship of Jehovah, pick a side, he says. And the people were silent And he said, well, what do you propose? I said, I'll tell you what. Let's make an offering to Baal, and we'll make an offering to Jehovah. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And the people said, it is well spoken. And you remember what happened? Those false prophets of Baal and false prophets of the grove, they they put that offering there and and, uh, laid the wood and and put the offering there, and they started jumping and yelling and screaming and lancing themselves, and the blood gushed out. And again, I love this. I love this about Elijah. He says, where's he at? What's he taking a journey? Oh, maybe he's got a, maybe he's got a sign on his door that says, out to lunch. Uh, Where is he? And the Bible says, pastor, he mocked them. He mocked, no, that's not always a good procedure, but in this case, Elijah did it, okay? And then Elijah said, come on. You know what happened. The Bible says he repaired the altar. There's a whole sermon right there, ladies and gentlemen, about before we ever want to see the fire in our lives, we're going to have to repair the altar in our lives. Get back to spending some time with God. Get back to getting all alone and praying. Get back to devotions, devoting yourself to God. You remember what happened. He, he put the altar, and then he, he put the wood down, and then he, he uh, put the sacrifice on. But then he said this, hey, get some water. He said, fill the barrels and, and pour the water on there. He, listen, ladies and gentlemen, he wanted to make sure they knew who was going to do this. That he, no, he's just some trick. He had, he had just some fire underneath and one of those logs was on. No, no. He said, wet it down again. Wet it down again. Wet it down again till the, the, the water ran around in a trench. And then he prayed a little 63-word prayer and the fire fell from heaven. And the Bible says, and licked up the water. Love that story. And then he took those false prophets, those 850 false prophets and false prophets of the grove, and he slew them. But here we come to chapter number 19. What happens here? In chapter 18, at the very end of chapter 18, he announces that it's going to rain after three and a half years. And he runs 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel, and arise before Ahab who took a chariot. If you look at verses 45 and 46. But then what happens? 
Ahab tells Jezebel everything that happened. And Elijah, listen to me, this man of God. Everything that I believe in, Pastor, that you read about Elijah says he was a man of God. Just a kind of man of God you ought to look to and admire. Somebody who stood up in the face of evil. What's it say in chapter 19, verse 2? Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. This messenger came and threatened his life. So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. What did he say? You killed my prophets, I'm going to kill you. Now we all think right here is when Elijah says, well, ain't no hussy going to tell me what to do. But that's not what happened, is it? Hmm? That's not what happened. He took off. He fled. Can I tell you something, in case you don't know this, the, the best of men are men at best? The best women I know are just women at best. They, they have flaws. They have faults. They have errors in their character. Everyone except Jesus and all God's people said, don't look at me with those halos on your heads tonight, amen? The only thing keeping those halos up is your horns, amen? Hallelujah. He received Jezebel's message, and he went another 130 miles from Jezreel to Beersheba, according to verse 3. And then he went another day's journey after he left his servant there. And what did he do? In verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. He got discouraged, and he got to the point where he asked God to take his life. You may have never gotten to that point before, but I could tell you many others have gotten to that point. Moses got to that point. I've had enough. And by the way, if you had three million Jews around you, you'd have had enough too. Amen? I've had enough. Other characters, other people that we've known, sadly, people that have not only said it, but actually done it. Hmm? A man of like passions who got discouraged. Number one tonight, I want you to notice discouragement's timing. Discouragement's timing. And I just have three sub-points here uh, underneath discouragement's timing. Discouragement's timing can come after a long struggle. Some of you right now are in a, a long physical battle. I'm going to tell you something. I, I've learned through a pastor, through years of pastoring now, that when people are in a long physical struggle, they get discouraged. We have a dear lady that comes to our church. Her name is Miss Betty Wiesner. If you think of, Miss, if you think of the name Miss Betty, pray for Miss Betty. Miss Betty, she's had braces on her legs for years she rides in one of those rascal wheelchairs. She can only come to church one Sunday a month because they, there's only one Sunday where the van is available with the wheelchair lift. But literally, both of her shoulders are full of arthritis. She, they, she had an accident with her foot where they actually rolled over on her foot with that wheelchair. And she is just in pain, Brother Tim, all the time. You know, she wants to be in church. 
she wants to be with God's people, but she can't be. Let me tell you, discouragement's timing takes place after a long struggle. You know when else discouragement's timing takes place? After a large victory. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Elijah just, forgive me, prayed back rain, prayed down fire, and then prayed rain again. Forgive me if I think those are large victories. And slaughtered 850 false prophets. You know? I'd say he went four for four, hit four, four grand slams, Pastor, amen? And then discouragement came just like that. Pastor, let me ask you a question I know the answer to. Ever have a big day here at Harvest? Ever get discouraged on Monday? Besides every Monday? Amen? Sure. After a large victory. We have a, a large spiritual victory, and then bang, there comes discouragement. And you're like, what happened? I was on cloud nine yesterday, and I just fell five floors. Amen? Discouragement's timing after a long struggle, after a large victory. Well, this goes without saying, at a low point. You know, Elijah here traveled an incredible distance on foot. And I like where it says that he beat Ahab's chariot. That means to me he was moving. But you know what? When you're tired and weary and battle-worn, the devil doesn't say, oh, let me give you a second to take a breath. No, Brother Ken, that's when he pulls out his dagger and goes for your heart. Discouragement's timing. After a long struggle, after a large victory, at a low point. How about discouragement's tools? Discouragement's tools. Look, first of all, at verse number two, and I want you to see the, the attacks. Attacks. And that is right there. It said, Then Jezebel sent a messenger saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of these by tomorrow. You say, What kind of attacks does Satan use? Well, I'll tell you what, he uses all kinds. He uses verbal attacks from people that hate God. He uses mental attacks. He uses emotional attacks on us. He'll use physical attacks on us. Uh, listen, discouragement's tools. The devil will use anything he can to discourage you. Discouragement's tools. He uses attacks. You know something else? And folks, I hope you pay attention to this. <clears throat> he uses not only attacks, but he uses alienation. Alienation. You say, what happened? Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose, went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, left his servant there. That's a very little, those little four words mean a lot. Left his servant there. This servant pastor traveled 130 miles with him. That's a long way. And he said, you stay here. See, the devil, listen to me. I'm talking to the Wednesday crowd. I don't have to preach this. The devil loves to get people out of the house of God, away from the people of God. And he uses all kinds of things. Oh, they're, they're all hypocrites there. And, and uh, as I say at our church all the time, yeah, we got a lot of hypocrites, but hypocrites don't stop people from going to the grocery store. They're there. Don't stop you from getting gas. Oh, look at that hypocrite next to me, pumping his gas, amen. There's hypocrites everywhere. One more won't hurt. 
oh, but he'll use something. And so you say, you know, nobody really likes you over there anyway. And nobody pays attention to you. And you start thinking, well, you know, when's the last time? And then the next thing you know, he said, yeah, you, you just come with me over here. You just, listen, never forget that Satan is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm going to tell you when sheep get devoured, when they get away from the rest of the sheep and the sheepdog and the shepherd. Amen? Alienation. Oh, how Satan has used alienation to discourage. Again, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes you're, you're, you're legitimately shut in. But the devil used that alienation, won't he? Some of you that have been shut in know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel like you're all alone. You use attacks. He'll use alienation. He'll use anguish. Verse 4. What happened here in verse 4? I'll tell you exactly what happened. Elijah felt sorry for himself. He based his, his anguish was based in his feelings, and in doing so, he predictably overestimated some things. First of all, he overestimated the peril of Jezebel. Now, listen, <laughs> we'll talk about this in a little bit, but God took care of Elijah during a terrible famine. Did God fall asleep when he, Jezebel sent this death threat? You know, Vance Havner said, we're all immortal until God's done with us. God wasn't done with Elijah. More work to do. But he overestimated the peril of Jezebel. He overestimated the problem. Look at verse 10. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So I'm the only one left doing right. No, he wasn't. Come on. I'm just the only one. Well, you know the middle letter of pride is I. There is a reverse pride, you know, that cloaks itself in humility and says, you know, I'm the only one doing right, God, and I just don't know why this is happening to me. <laughs> he overestimated the peril of Jezebel, the problem. And listen, he overestimated himself as a person. Again, was he the only one? No, look down at verse 18. God says to him, yet, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal. So, Brother Paul, he wasn't one, he was number 7,001. Right? You know, it's always our nature to overestimate when we're discouraged. Hmm? We never underestimate, we always overestimate. And so discouragement's timing after a long struggle, after a, a large victory, at a low point. Discouragement's tools. He uses attacks. He uses alienation. He uses anguish. What about discouragement's teaching? Discouragement's teaching. What, what, is, what is God teaching Elijah here in discouragement? Look at verse 9, chapter 19. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
modern vernacular. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this cave? Now, when God asks a question, we understand simple Bible interpretation. Does God know the answer? Yes. So when he asks a rhetorical question, he is trying to elicit an answer from the person he is asking the question to. Okay? So what is, what's, what's happening here? What, what's discouragement teaching? I'll tell you what we see here is we see God's probing. God's probing. Hold your place here in 1 Kings. Go to me with Matthew chapter 16. I want you to, to show you another time where uh, God himself asked a probing question. Matthew chapter 16. Discouragement's teaching. First of all, we see God's probing here. <clears throat> Matthew 16, verse 8, please. If you go back to verse 6, it'll give you the whole story. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Later on, he's going to, verse 12 says, Then understood they how he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees. So he's, he's telling them to be wary of this little leaven of the doctrine of the Pharisees. But in between, it says, And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we've taken no bread. That's why he's talking about leaven. We forgot the bread. What's wrong with us? We knew we were supposed to take bread. Verse 8, he says, when, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? And here he is probing. Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets ye took up? He's probing. Don't you remember what I did for you? Don't you remember how I blessed? I think he's doing the same thing here, Pastor, to Elijah. He's saying, don't you remember the brook? Don't you remember the brook, Cherith? When everything else dried up and there was still water in that brook? Don't you remember how the birds, the ravens, those awful black scavenger birds brought you bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening? Don't you remember not only the brook and the birds, but don't you remember the widow and the cruise of oil and the barrel of meal that for the whole famine Failed not according to the word of the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? Don't you remember? God's probing here. It's discouragement's teaching. Something else. Love this part. Go back to uh, 1 Kings 19. Verse 11, please. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. He says, And he said, Go forth and stand upon a mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountain and breaking in pieces in the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice. You know what I think discouragement's teaching here is, first of all, God's probing, but secondly, God's presence. Remember what Job said in 
Job chapter 23, I think it's verse 8, 9. He said, he said you know, I, I reach before me and I can't feel him. And I reach to the side of me and I can't feel him. And I reach behind me and I, I can't feel him. But I know that when he hath tried me, I'll come forth as gold. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, never forget this in discouragement. Jesus Christ himself said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Stop looking for God in the earthquake. Stop looking for God in the great wind. Listen to the small, still voice that says, I'll never leave you. I'm right with you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Discouragement's teaching. God's probing. God's presence. Verse 8. Verse 5 through 8, really. It says, And he lay and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, then an angel touched him, and he said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon, and coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came unto him a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. That's very important, because verse 8 says, And he arose, and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. What do I see here finally in discouragement's teaching? I see God's power. God's power. This discouraged saint, you know what? He, he, he laid himself down. He was tired. And God fed him with this uh, incredible food. And I'm going to tell you something. In discouragement, God has some incredible food for you. And he wants to give you his power. Right here in this book. Discouragement's timing, one. Discouragement's tools. Discouragement's teaching, and then lastly, discouragement's treatments. What do we, we learn here in discouragement? I'll tell you, first of all, we learn a, a, an e, a simple lesson when we're discouraged. The peace of God is found in verses 4 through 7. And that is simply this, rest. The importance of rest. Elijah was tired. He was worn out. We would say about Elijah, he was burning the candle at both ends, and Brother Tim had a can of hairspray on that candle. <laughs> Amen? When I was a senior in Bible college, my wife and I graduated in 2001, and uh, I was in chapel, and my senior year was a wonderful, especially the last uh, semester of my senior year, pastor, I think I had like to take like six credits because I had burned the candle at both ends in my sophomore and junior year. I remember, you know, sitting through Greek class like this because I was taking 23 credits and working full time and mowing grass in the morning and sleeping occasionally. And here comes this guy from Groves, Texas, an assistant pastor. It was literally the last week of chapel. And Miss Marge, he said, I want to preach to you a message on the importance of proper rest. And he began to use the word rest in the scriptures, talked about rest. After the uh, chapel service was over, I said, I'm going to punch you right in the face. He said, why? I said, because where were you four years ago when I needed you? When I needed some proper rest. Can I, can I just give you a piece of, I believe, scriptural advice? If you're really, really discouraged, would you please rest? Rest. 
Pastor, let me say something to you. Rest. I know you got a lot to do. And by the way, if the pastor has a lot to do, I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd. Ask him how you can help. Ask him how you can help. I have wonderful deacons in our church, and, and uh, they, they, we work together with things like that. And we found out that many hands make light work. It took us two and a half months to set up for vacation Bible school, and we had so many hands there, Pastor, it took us four hours to tear it all down and put it all away in the proper place. Amen. Not just tear it down and throw it in a barn. Amen. <laughs> Rest. I know, listen, I know the demands that are on people. People come in. I know our people came in tonight. I had probably so many people in our church come in and say, Pastor, I'm just, I'm so tired. I need to be here. I need to hear this message. I understand all that. But there comes a point, ladies and gentlemen, where you've got to get rest. Never forget that God himself had one day of rest for us. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Proper rest, the peace of God. Secondly, I see something else, the provision of God in this uh, verses 3 through 7. You know what I see here? I see not only a proper rest, but I see God's care here. God cares about Elijah. God cares about him. God cares enough to, to, to let him rest and to feed him. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. One of the most precious Bible verses is 1 Peter 5, 7. I quoted it more times at hospitals than any other place I've ever quoted, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm discouraged, he cares. You're not less because you're discouraged. You're not less. People get discouraged. Elijah got discouraged. Moses got discouraged. John the Baptist got discouraged. The peace of God, rest, the provision of God, God's care, the perspective of God. Verse 18, we talked about it already, and that is simply this. You're not alone in your discouragement. Can I ask for, I wouldn't normally do this, your family. Can I ask for a show of hands? How many of you at some point this year have been discouraged? Raise your hand. Now look around, please. Please. See, not everybody here is the angel you think they are from heaven. We're all made of the same stuff. Here's what I want you to know in your discouragement. You're not alone. The devil wants you to say you're alone. You're the only one that's ever felt this way. You're weird. Now we all know we're weird. I love to take my cell phone and flip it for a selfie and I'll walk up to one of our deacons and say, you want to see something really scary? Look at that. And they look and see their own face, amen? Yeah, we're all a little weird. We're, but I'll tell you this, in discouragement, we're not alone. See all those hands? 
These are people you go to church with every week, people you love and pray for. They go through discouragement just like you do. He said to Elijah in verse 18, look, I got 7,000. 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee. You're not alone. You're not alone in this. I seek the perspective of God, the peace of God, rest, the provision of God, God's care, the perspective of God, you're not alone. And then the purpose of God. Look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 19. Verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return thy way into the wilderness of Damascus. When thou, come, comest to, uh, when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, thou shalt anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of, yeah, uh, shall thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. You know what he said here? That what was the, the peace of God was rest, and the provision of God was God's care for us. And, and the perspective of God is you're not alone. What's the purpose of God here? God had more work for him to do. God had more work for him to do. So he didn't just say, get over it, sweetheart. God, God didn't say that. He ministered to him. He cared for him. He said, now i got another job for you to do. Do you know Charles Spurgeon, was, he's called the prince of preachers. Pastor, you know you've read a lot of Spurgeon. Spurgeon's unbelievable. Preach without notes. His sermon books are this big. His sermons are pages and pages and pages of doctrinal preaching. He preached without notes. He spent most of his ministry in deep depression and discouragement. And we have his books on our shelves today, Pastor. His wife was diagnosed with a gynecological problem. They performed a surgery at the time. It was very difficult. And she was an invalid for his entire ministry. She said, I've ruined the ministry of the greatest preacher that there has ever been. And yet God used these precious people in their discouragement. Here's what we want. We want discouragement to just go away. It doesn't always do that. Here's what God says. I'll be with you whether you're encouraged or discouraged. I'll be there. And I've got a work for you to do. You know what Elijah was? He was a man of like passions who got discouraged. Sometimes we think about him and uh, holding back the rain in prayer and praying down the rain and praying down the fire, and we think, that's a superman. Nope. He's got the same blood pumping through his veins that we have. Same shortcomings. This story blesses me, pastor, as a pastor, as a man of God. This story blesses me because here was a man of God who was absolutely a man of God, called of God, used of God, and he got discouraged and God ministered to him. You know, that's what God wants to do for you and I. He wants to minister to us in our discouragement. A man of like passions who got discouraged. Father, we thank you for your goodness and blessings unto us. Thank you so much for these precious people whom we love. Lord, perhaps some are discouraged here tonight. Oh, I pray that as we give the invitation that you would please give them the courage to just come and talk to you about it. I pray that you would be with that one that just feels like they're at the end of their rope. May you help them to tie a knot in it and hang in there, knowing that you're 
presence will be with them. Your peace will be with them. You've given your perspective that you're not alone and your purposes that you have more work to do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Miss Rebecca's playing page 540.